This is the Cancer Radio Network. Coming up on this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. In, insist on, on uh, doing a cancer screening. Absolutely don't take no for an answer. And, and again, this is where I never thought in a million years that I myself had cancer. Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, offering stories of information, inspiration, and hope to those affected by colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 83 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for the last episode of 2017. It is hard to believe. I know that's an overused phrase. We all say it's hard to believe the holidays are here. It's hard to believe time's gone so fast. But we've just completed the third year of the Colon Cancer Podcast. We'll be celebrating the actual third anniversary coming up late February. And uh, I got to put my thinking cap on and come up with uh, something uh, to celebrate that event. But uh, what a year 2017 has been uh, for me personally. And people often ask me to share a little bit more about myself and what's going on in my life uh, as it relates to not just personally, but uh, my uh, my journey through, with colon cancer. So what do I think about as I look back on 2017? A couple of big, big milestones for myself and my family. My wonderful wife, Linda, and I celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary earlier this month on December 1st. And then the very next day, our youngest son got married. So I would say those two events certainly were the highlights of the year. And in terms of my disease, uh, the best words, the I'd say the second best words I could have hoped from hoped for from my oncologist. The first best would have been NED. We didn't get that, so we got the next best thing, and that is, uh, I believe, the word he used. He told me that I'm an outlier. My doctor called me an outlier. I think he is uh, pleasantly surprised that. Uh, coming up on seven years now, that uh, even though I've had multiple metastasis, that uh, things are quite stable. And we've got one little nodule we're just watching in my right lung, and currently that's all that uh, is on our radar. And I know how blessed I am to have that uh, that diagnosis, or I guess that uh, maybe diagnosis isn't the right word, but to know that's the state of my disease right now. And I will certainly take that all day long. If you have an ostomy or are undergoing chemotherapy, you know at times it can be a struggle to stay hydrated. That's where H2ORS can help. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution, which is an over-the-counter electrolyte drink mix for dehydration. H2ORS is a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So, for those of you who are struggling to stay hydrated due to an ostomy or chemotherapy, H2ORS can help replenish your fluid and electrolyte levels. It has three times the electrolytes of most sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. If you would like to try a free sample of H2ORS, go to 
h2ors.com slash sample and they'll ship one out to you. No strings or hidden costs attached. Also, when you make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the code CCPOD, you will get 10% off your first order. As I look back on the year, I would be remiss to also not mention some of the low points and uh, two particularly come to mind. Uh, the first is uh, my dear cousin Lisa uh, passed away in August after a 15-month battle with pancreatic cancer. And it's the first time in my family, first time for me, that someone not elderly in my family has passed away. So I think of my cousin often and, uh, you know, with happy thoughts and, and I do miss her. Also, I would be remiss without mentioning the passing of Dr. Tom Marsilia. Tom was a guest on the Colon Cancer Podcast about a year and a half ago. And if any, if you're at a, Anyway, involved in Blue Hope Nation, any of the stage four colon cancer groups, Colon Town, uh, any of those places, you you could be involved in any of those groups without uh, being familiar with Tom and his work, and certainly his his passing uh, left a hole in many of our hearts. And uh, during this time, I was thinking about Tom earlier today as I'm recording this on Christmas Day, and just was kind of thinking of, of him and his family and, and, you know, with tender thoughts. As I look ahead to 2018, I am beyond excited. Uh, we've got some big things planned for the podcast. We're going to be making some changes, nothing that I'm uh, able to announce just yet, but there are going to be some exciting changes. Uh, we're I've got some exciting things lined up to help us expand our reach with this with this show to reach more people with our stories to find more people to, whose stories we want to share and uh, I'm beyond beyond excited about what the future holds for the colon cancer podcast. Speaking of uh, expanding our reach, it's been a while since I've mentioned that uh, one of the best ways we can do that is for you to recommend a guest to be on the Colon Cancer Podcast. Perhaps it's yourself. Perhaps it's a family member with an inspiring or interesting story to tell. How do you do that? Real simple. Just go to thecoloncancerpodcast.com forward slash guest and complete the short form and send it in, and we will consider that it person as a future guest for the Colon Cancer Podcast. My guest this week is Sasha Denisova. Sasha has a interesting story to tell. Interesting is not really quite the word. Uh, in some ways, there's a lot of emotions around Sasha's story, uh, and you'll hear her tell it, but uh, another story, unfortunately, another person we're having on the show whose symptoms for colorectal cancer, because this individual was, quote unquote, too young, whose symptoms were ignored. And it 
it's a sad story that keeps repeating itself. And I'm not saying that Sasha's story is a sad story. I'm saying the situation of young people having their symptoms ignored. Uh, Sasha has an amazing spirit. I truly enjoyed talking to her and really admired her positive outlook on light despite all, on life despite the numerous challenges she has faced and continues to face uh, with her disease. So join me now for my conversation with Sasha Densova. Sasha, thank you so much for joining me on the Colon Cancer Podcast. How are you this evening? Good. How are you? Happy to be here. Uh, I'm sure you mean that in multiple ways, uh, having read your story. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Sarah DeBoard was kind enough to share your story with me, and I and I read it, and uh, just a whirlwind of emotions was going through me as I was just you know, envisioning your journey. And I think as I reflect back on what I read, Sasha, the first emotion that I felt was just intense anger. Are you angry? Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm happy to be alive. Fair enough. So tell it for for those that are wondering what 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 could be so angry about just kind of bring us up to speed on on how you came to be diagnosed and uh, I know it's a rather long story but it's really important for especially for our young listeners to understand your experience uh, well it all started uh, a girlfriend and I went on a on a big trip to France uh, birthday um, so this was uh, March of uh, last year. So we went uh, uh, to France and made a terrible mistake of eating uh, cake tartare, which uh, we both ended up with uh, E. coli in the middle of uh, uh, Brittany, France, and uh, I came home still uh, sick. I did the, the Z-Pack. Uh, she got better and I didn't. So I was still, you know, showing symptoms about two weeks later. And I knew something was wrong. And uh, kind of that fateful morning, I found blood in my stool. So I knew that it could be a number of things and, and none of them good. So I called uh, my primary care provider who told me to go to urgent care. So I came to urgent care and they um, ran all the panels for the various parasites. Um, you name it, um, they ran the panels, they, they did a stool sample, and they came back with nothing. So at which point they sent me to a GI specialist and I, I couldn't eat. I started having sharp pains in, in my stomach. Um, so I started rapidly losing weight and I wasn't um, sleeping. So you can just imagine uh, what I looked like uh, when I came into the doctor's office and uh, he saw a, a, a girl with, with tattoos, you know, skinny with, with bags around her eyes and, obviously assumed I was on drugs. So he uh, told me that I had all the symptoms of a, of a chronic pot smoker and just to stop eating. And at that point, I haven't eaten for about uh, two weeks. So he told me that in college as a butt, he didn't eat for three weeks. And if he could make it three weeks, I can definitely, you know, continue not eating. And I just kept getting worse. Uh, they sent me into uh, a semi-endoscopy. This is about, again, about two weeks uh, have passed. And the semi-endoscopy found nothing. 
So I was, I was getting desperate because, uh, again, I was in, in so much pain. I was working from home because I, I didn't want to take time off work, but I um, had trouble uh, going up and down the stairs. I had to call my neighbor uh, to help me uh, with the dog, um, blood in my stool. And every time I try to eat anything, I would just get these um, debilitating stomach pains. So he sent me to a colorectal surgeon who uh, was really surprised to see me because he typically doesn't get folks with no diagnosis. So he was um, really puzzled and uh, did an x-ray, uh, at which point, you know, they told me to go home. Um, they thought it was uh, a case of diverticulitis. So told me um, to go on a special diet. And I uh, was actually at uh, Trader Joe's down the street from the hospital uh, when I got the call to come back immediately. So they uh, found what they thought was an abscess uh, in my colon. So they uh, hospitalized me and put a drainage tube through, again, what they thought was an abscess and send me home after about a, a three-day stay. I, I was feeling a, a little bit better, uh, but still um, having the, the debilitating pains. Two weeks later, the drainage tube uh, came out, and that's when I got significantly worse. Um, couldn't make it up and down the stairs. Uh, the pains um, got to the point where I couldn't get out of bed. So I was calling my neighbor to um, you know, go to the store, get me some pain pills, and, and again, take care of my dog. So I called my parents and they said, I need to um, go to the hospital. I don't know what's wrong, but this isn't normal. And I started um, having a discharge of, of pus and stool out of the hole that was left by uh, the drainage tube. So I was hospitalized uh, once more. They uh, started pumping me full of antibiotics and I was screaming so loud at night, they decided that uh, putting me on lorazepam uh, was going to fix me because I was bothering the other patients. Uh, the lorazepam made me hallucinate. So I uh, thought that there was uh, spiders under my skin and ripped out all of my IVs. Mm. At which point the infectious disease doctor said, it's not diverticulitis, it's not an infection, none of the antibiotics are working and she's she's getting worse by the minute this is uh, we're we're missing something the other doctors uh, ignored her said no she's she's too young to to have any other condition we're just going to keep on with uh antibiotics uh two weeks uh later uh they tried to um uh, give me uh, an enema which caused a, a full colon uh, blockage. And at that point, my uh, surgeon was a, at a conference. So they uh, would not operate until he came back. When uh, they finally scheduled uh, the surgery and were prepping me for surgery, my colon uh, burst the entire length. And uh, I went critical and I, and I flatlined on the operating table. So with the skill hands of, of my surgeon and uh, the rest of the medical staff, they, they managed to um, revive me and uh, put together uh, my colon. What they found that the abscess wasn't an abscess, it was a tumor. And they actually removed two tumors, 21 centimeters 
of my colon and part of my rectum. So I woke up with drainage tubes um, hanging out, a colostomy bag, and staples from my belly button all the way down to my pelvic bone. And my dad was uh, curled up on the couch in uh, my hospital room. The resident came in uh, the next morning and was really surprised to see me. So he uh, high-fived me and said, oh my gosh, somebody made it through the night. Uh, because nobody in the hospital expected me uh, to make it through the night. And actually my surgeon's partner said the reason he wouldn't operate on me because he knew he was going to lose me on the operating table. The official cancer diagnosis uh, came a week later. Unfortunately, because they put a drainage tube uh, through the tumor, uh, the initial stage uh, was, was 3B. So I had one lymph node involvement and uh, the tumors, but by putting in the, the drainage pipe, it made one of the tumors burst. So the cancer cells um, went all over my bloodstream. Um, they found uh, cancer cells in the peritoneum and my uterine wall. And I would find out that the the uterine wall involvement would potentially um, cost me the ability to have children and would result in a full um, hysterectomy. And, and at well, this let, point, let me let me let me jump in just for a second. Um, I'm still sitting here with with my jaw on the floor, and. You know, I know you said you're happy to be here. I totally, totally understand and get that. Um, how, how are you, you know, at this point, just, just the emotions of how everything was mishandled. How, how have you been able to process that? Uh, to, to be honest with you, I'm happy to be alive. Happy to have gotten that second chance um, to still be here, um, to talk to you, uh, to be able to talk to, um, you know, other cancer survivors, other folks who are um, dealing with uh, the disease. I'm happy to, you know, to be able to uh, tell my story and hopefully it'll make a, a difference in the way that we screen for cancer or create awareness that young people get cancer too. Because the, the today's statistics is one out of seven um, folks are diagnosed with colon cancer under the age of 35. Well, for most people, screening doesn't start until um, 50. In some states, it's uh, 55. Yeah. So yeah. we're missing just such a large population. And, and we're missing uh, folks like me or, or younger. I'm 35 years old. Not in a million years did I think I was going to get cancer. I have no fa family history on either side. We have, you know, heart disease or, or diabetes. So I thought that something like that was a real possibility. Uh, but cancer wasn't even on my radar. Well, I give you so much credit, Sasha, for being able to set that aside and just say, you know what, what's happened has happened. How do I turn something so horrible into something positive for other people? I just, I just think that's amazing that you're able to, to, to do, to do that. And I just give you so much credit for that. What was the time frame between when you got to back to the States from France 
and your diag- your your cancer diagnosis? Uh, it was about two months. So we we came back at uh, uh, the end of uh, March uh, of uh, 2017, and uh, my surgery was May 26. So wow. there was uh, almost a two months uh, time frame of me uh, getting worse, and then I spent uh, the second my second hospital hospitalization was 28 days. Mm. So you were saying that they also found it on your uterine wall. And that was the hardest part of the diagnosis, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm 35 years old. I, you know, was so focused on, on my career that I kind of put the, the whole having a family on the back burner because I had plenty of time. I was young and, you know, I was thinking in a couple of years, that's where I was uh, going to be able to do it. So the, the first blow was that chemotherapy might make me sterile. It wasn't a candidate for radiation or where the tumors were because it was too close to my bladder because it was too, way too dangerous uh, for them to do uh, radiation on me because it was going to potentially uh, liquefy my bladder and then um, impact my other internal organs. So my oncologist recommended um, going on uh, depot. And I looked into fertility treatments, but I had 48 hours uh, between getting out of the hospital and uh, when I would have to start fertility treatments before starting chemo because I needed a two-week period to harvest your eggs. And another blow came with that there is no financial help for um, something like freezing uh, your eggs. So I, I called the fertility clinic and I said, well, how much to, to walk in through the door? And it was $10,000 and there was no financing options available. I called my financial advisor and he said three days, three days to pull money out of my IRA, uh, which I had 48 hours, right? Three days hmm. wasn't going to work. There was no financing options. And what she told me, she said, well, you should have thought about this earlier. Oh my goodness. And that's what made me angry. And I thought, how dare you? Because I didn't plan on getting cancer. If I knew that this was a, a even a possibility, I would have been planning different. I would have had, you know, more access to to my money or, you know, I would have done things a lot differently. But when something like this happens, there's just no time. So, sure. so again, I was holding out hope, and then I uh, met with my surgeon uh, at the U, at which point I was just starting uh, chemotherapy, and uh, he said, we were, we were talking about the HIPEC uh, surgery, so if our listeners don't know what that is, um, so that's um, basically hot chemo, so they open up your abdominal cavity, and then uh, they uh, put uh, a three times uh, the concentration of of regular chemotherapy into the abdominal uh, cavity and it prevents uh, recurrence in it also uh, for uh, if you have involvement of the peritoneum typically chemotherapy cannot penetrate the peritoneum wall so you still have um, cancer cells or microscopic cancer cells in the peritoneum so this uh, prevents uh, recurrence and it prevents uh, that and it's a, it's an extremely uh, dangerous uh, 
experimental surgery, but it's a chance at a cure. So at, mm-hmm. at this point, um, I'll take it. And uh, uh, the the average uh, survival rate uh, post five years is just thirty eight percent post the surgery. And uh, there's about eleven percent of folks who don't make it off the operating table. And then the next sixty days is critical because of complications. Uh, from the procedure, and there's a 25 to 56% chance that you will have complications that are potentially fatal uh, in those uh, first 60 days. Again, it's, um, it's a chance I'm willing to take because it's a chance to have a normal life. But this is, again, this is the appointment where I found out that uh, during the procedure, they might do a full hysterectomy because I had cancer cells on my uterine wall. And uh, if they, when they open me up, open me up and it does test positive, uh, they will uh, remove my, my uterus and uh, my ovaries kind of forever uh, closing uh, that chance of, of having children. And that was the, the, the only time I, I, I cried because it, it felt like something was stolen from me. You know, the, the, the colostomy bag was um, not fun, uh, but, but I was handling everything up until that point. That was uh, the hardest blow to, to deal with and to, uh, to come to terms with that there, that door might be forever closed for me. You've had so many challenges thrown at out at you uh, what what keeps you what keeps your spirits up sasha um that i can make a difference to be honest with you that by speaking out and by telling my story i can uh change the the way we do screening or at least bring more attention uh to the fact that young people go misdiagnosed undiagnosed because nobody thinks that you're going to get cancer at 25, 30, 35. And I talked to so many uh, folks just through the various uh, support groups who are as young as 24 um, that are diagnosed at stage four with, with very, um, very low chances of, of survival post the five-year mark. So I, I've talked, I've, I've run across a few different situations and I, and I want your advice to our listeners. I, I've talked to young people who they themselves didn't take the symptoms seriously, uh, either because they thought they were too young or what I've seen more common is there's that embarrassment factor. So... What would you say to those folks that uh, aren't getting checked out, have symptoms, and they're, you know, uh, blowing it off or embarrassed, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say? What, what's your advice there? Uh, go get checked out. It's uh, the the colonoscopy is not a walk in the park, but it's going to save your life. And insist on a colonoscopy. Yeah, um, and that's what I should have done is insisted on a colonoscopy and not listen to the doctor when they sent me in for a semi-endoscopy because it turns out that the semi-endoscopy missed my tumor by an inch. An inch. Wow. So the second part of the question is for those folks, and I know it's going to happen again, we just know, who 
realize something is seriously wrong and wind up going down a similar path that you did and feel like their symptoms are not being taken seriously, uh, what's your advice to folks in that situation? In, insist on not uh, doing a cancer screening. Absolutely don't take no for an answer. And, and again, this is where I never thought in a million years that I myself had cancer. And I, I didn't insist on a screening because I, I trusted the doctors when they said diverticulitis. I said, okay, well, I'm a little too young for that, but, but I believe you and I trust you. So absolutely get the additional tests and, and insist on that. And it's a battle with insurance because for young people, it doesn't cover that colonoscopy. Great advice, and I appreciate you sharing that. When is your surgery scheduled for, Sasha? Uh, January 22nd, and uh, basically currently is scheduled for uh, the um, the takedown of uh, um, the colostomy, uh, HIPAC, and then they're um, doing exploratory surgery. So they will uh, biopsy my uterine wall, uh, my peritoneum, and my liver at the time of surgery, and then potentially remove additional organs is what the surgeon uh, said. And we won't know uh, what those organs are until that happens. And I'm staying positive and I'm hoping that they go in and um, they will not uh, find those microscopic uh, cancer cells. Well, I know that I'm hoping and praying the same thing for you as well. Uh, you know, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to to share your story, and uh, and like you, you know, that's my intention is is to get it out for the world to hear, so that people can hear your message and and learn from what what's happened uh, with you. Absolutely, again, pleasure to be here, and thank you for taking the time. Well. I hope you have uh, happy holidays uh, and and get to do whatever it is you would love to do, whatever that might be, uh, with whoever you would love to do it with. And uh, we'll be thinking about you uh, in about five weeks and and uh, and wishing you just a really positive outcome there. Thank you so much, Sasha. Wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast, and thank you to our sponsor, H2ORS. The Colon Cancer Podcast is a proud sponsor of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer podcast.com. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone. <laughs>